Totally Football Show. A midweek of major turn-ups, and that was just Zizou's skinny jeans. Coming up, we'll react to all the big stories. Mane, Messi and Ronaldo wowsers, happy scousers and managerial trousers for as long as our studio time allows us. As FA Cup quarterfinals, games you'd replay, Le Classique and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, Jack Lang. Hello, James Richardson. Hello, Daniel Story. Good morning. All right, bringing conclusions to the confusions. And hello, Julien Laurence. Hello, everyone. Looking forward to playing Michael Cox's one match to reverse with you later on, Julien. What's that game? The interesting notion, as unveiled by Michael Cox on this very show the other day, to give everybody one fixture in history they'd like another crack at. I can't possibly imagine what you might opt for. <laughs> we'll hear later on, eh? Yeah. First, though, we're going to talk about the Champions League. How about those midweek games, eh? How about that English football, eh, Daniel Story? Yeah, first time since 2008-9, four English quarter-finalists in the Champions League. Basically, everyone, with the exception, I suppose, of Manchester United's comeback, everyone felt reasonably comfortable, which mm. is remarkable, really. I thought Bayern Munich were incredibly disappointing on, on Wednesday evening. As were Atletico on Tuesday, no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but Bayern, I don't think you can necessarily criticise Diego Simeone's tactics. We expected them to try and defend the lead and that's what they tried to do and they failed and they were bad in possession, but they pretty much played as we expected. I think Bayern did the opposite. I think we expected that they would try and service Robert Lewandowski. You mentioned the fact four Premier League sides going through. It's actually the third time it's happened. Curiously, no other European nation has ever managed to get four sides through to the quarterfinals. Well, one of the, one of the kind of stereotypes of the Premier League is that the competition with the league both harms and helps English clubs in that the competition, I think, in terms of depth is stronger than any other country in Europe. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm. But the actual competition within the league, the constant big six playing each other actually knackers them out for the final stages is the wow. is this kind of the guess. But it's come up trumps this year. One French side have been been nice, Jules. It ended up 5-1 between Lyon and Barcelona, the last Ligue 1 representative. But there was a moment when it looked like Lyon might do it, no? Yeah, there were 20 minutes in that second half after they scored the goal where you thought, do you know what, maybe maybe with a bit of luck, maybe they're starting to, to, to press a bit higher and I think they look more aggressive as well. And I thought, they've, got that. they've been so good against big teams this season, against City, home and away, against PSG, at home in the league as well. And even in the first leg, it was a nil-nil draw and they, they probably didn't play their best. But they, they, saw, they were resilient in that first leg. And you thought, well, you know, if they score a second now, it would become very interesting. And then, and then Leo Messi decided to, to wake up after a little nap at the start of the second half. Yeah. And then when he wakes up, there's no, there's no stopping them. I guess there's a conversation about which was the most spectacular goal of this midweek. Jack, what would your nomination be? You've got a couple of messy... Well, one where he sets up PK. And, and he's kind of shimmy and, and sitting downness of defenders. Yeah, in the Barcelona game, it's actually a week of great assists, I thought. We can talk about the others later. But for me, the best one in the Barca game was, was Coutinho's goal, just oh, really? because of Suarez's insane two-touch manoeuvre out of trouble. Great right. ball by Artur as well. And I love that Suarez will square the ball when he's one-on-one with a goalkeeper. I just thought that was so unselfish and a glimpse of Suarez at his... Uh, darting best, which we haven't seen as much of this season as we might have liked. Mm, you did right. see on the dive, though, on the penalty. Yeah. From Suarez. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was your choice of favourite goal? I like Mane's, the first, Liverpool's yeah. first goal. Um, Mane is... There's a weird thing about Mane. He's kind of, we assume that he would be a creator, given his position at the start of the season, but he hasn't actually assisted a goal since November. And yet he's on this scoring run where he's just taken the mantle off Salah and said... And he can look a bit awkward, and I think, and that allows him to be a bit underrated. But he's been absolutely brilliant recently. And that composure just to dink it with his supposed wrong foot over, well, around Neuer and then over the defender. Was I mean, every element of it. The pass, was it from Virgil van Dijk, the pass upfield? Yes. That was, that was pretty special. Mm. Then his touch, to t- his touch to take it down. Then his turn away from uh, the oncoming Manuel Neuer. Mm. And then, as you say, the finish. Anyway, well, I tell you what, let's start our roundup after this with... Action at the Allianz Arena. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
Bayern 1, Liverpool 3, or as you put it, Jack, Mo Mane, no problems. Mo Mane, no problems. I think there have been a lot of variations on that joke. Have there? <laughs> all right. I, oh, I, I won't claim that. Anyway, all right. Well, how about Review Football as a Liverpool fan and their assertion that Liverpool's game against Burnley turned out to be far more stressful than Bayern away? I think that's probably right. Bayern, as Daniel mentioned earlier, massively disappointing, I think, from Kovac's outlook, which was just not daring enough. But even within a, a cautious system, I think you can expect a little bit more attacking cohesion from a team, especially with, you know, you look at the talent of the players they got on the pitch. But what was interesting to me was the they were playing a similar system to Liverpool, but just different interpretations of it. Liverpool's front three, we know Firmino moves around, but Mane and Salah were kind of switching positions, interlinking, whereas you looked at Bayern's front three and Robert Lewandowski often just had 40 metres of empty space around him. Frank Ribéry and Serge Gnabry, Gnabry played quite well, I thought, for an hour, but they didn't really get close enough to him. And the midfield three of Bayern, you often had James Rodriguez doing little rotations and dribbles in his own half, almost seemed to be playing defensive midfield. And I, I think when you've got players who can unlock defences like that, you need to be getting them a bit further forward, especially given they've also got Javi Martinez and Thiago. That I didn't really see any reason for James to be playing quite so deep. Right, Javi Martinez, who you nominated as the footballer you'd most like to have on a farm if you ever had a farm. Yeah. I th- Why? I just think he'd get through a lot of work and he's got big levers. Wouldn't James Milner be the ideal farmhand? Maybe. He's not as tall and as strong as Javi Martinez, though. Do you not think so? No, definitely right, not. Okay. Niklas Sula, I think, would be another one. No Robin for Bayern Munich. If if property is theft, is there no Bayern without Robin? That's my question to you, Daniel Story. Very philosophical of you. Mm. Um, look, he he would get in a first-choice Bayern team, there's no doubt about that, but that doesn't excuse the performance, I don't think, on Wednesday evening. Um, Lewandowski, after the first leg, spoke and said, look, this was kind of a necessary evil. I was I was isolated, but it had to happen for the game. But after the second leg on Wednesday evening, he said... He said, I'm angry because we didn't even try and score goals. And if you don't try and score goals, if you don't get players high up the pitch, then you you can't be surprised when you're knocked out of the Champions League by, by a team that got to the final last year. Aside from Sergio Gnabry, mm. who looked dangerous for Bayern? Anybody? Nobody, really. Um, I think Hamas has got a problem in that he... Playing in the position he does and dropping deep as he does, he just becomes too easy to defend against against a team that's got two bodies in the middle um, I mean I know Henderson went off and I think that was probably a blessing in disguise for Liverpool and having Fabinho there because it just meant that when they did revert you know go in on themselves for about 10 minutes in the second half Fabinho effectively just slipped into a centre-back role and they just repelled everything but he's just too easy to defend against like that I, I don't know if it's just a, a kind of modern football in that you need that extra pace to to get past players but he just looked blunt um, and that will be worrying because I saw I think it was Mark Ogden from ESPN tweeting that it felt like Liverpool ended a few buying careers tonight and he included Hammers in that list but he's only 27 you know mm. it's not like he's one of the he's not in the Manuel Neuer or the Thomas Muller or the Aaron Robin or Frank Ribery generation so I just think he needs a bit more in games like that Right. the problem I- is they played so deep that he, he had to drop even deeper mm. Hammers. otherwise the ball would have never got to him anywhere but so. they were playing so deep why because Liverpool are so intimidating yeah, but the if potential they have. True, but if you look at their game away from home in the Champions League this season, where they they lost all three of them, if you'd been Niko Kovac and Bayern, you think, okay, well, clearly they they struggle a bit more away from home in this competition, mm. so let's 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 have a go at them. And Bayern had to score anywhere to go through. It's not even if like a nil draw and defend the whole game was putting them through. So it's hard to understand why Kovac decided to play like that. And then James had to obviously adapt his game to to the tactics, and Lewandowski who. Hassan Salihamidzic before the game was saying he's the best number nine in the world right now. I know if he doesn't get the ball, he can't score, but he was so anonymous in a game like that, of that calibre, which is not the first time in knockout stage of the Champions League, though. Mm, OK. Well, Bayern's defeat, and a heavy defeat it was, speaks to this ongoing collapse of German football. The poor showing at the World Cup now. No German sides in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I spoke to the German minister and he said, Ich nickten lichten. But what does Raphael Honigstein, author, of course, of... Feel the boot. Uh, think about it all. Producer Ben found out. Raf, were you surprised at how Bayern approached this game? You said on Monday that you expected Kovac to set the team up in an entirely different way to the first leg, but actually it was all very familiar. I was not surprised that there was 
similar because I kind of expected Kovac to be just as cautious and, and cagey and he was kind of being very, very um, adamant that the main game plan was not to open up, not to be exposed and all these things. But of course, it only really works if you have some ways of creating real goal-scoring opportunities and while Bayern sort of looked competent and kind of sort of controlled the game, they never really created any clear-cut chances in the first half. And once they were really forced to um, to have a goal in the second, um, you saw you saw very little. And I think that's when their game plan really fell apart because it was exposed as being very one-dimensional, very reactive. This was a very harsh lesson in 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 reality and. I can only hope for their sake that they are honest enough to really make make an assessment of how short they have fallen now below the European elite after being regular contenders for for most of the decade. Raph, you've written the book about the rebooting of German football. Um, Is all of this talk of a crisis premature? It's been a really, really bad year, hasn't it, with uh, the exit from the World Cup? You've been relegated in the Nations League. Dortmund and Bayern were knocked out and Schalke were utterly humiliated on Tuesday night. So uh, is this Gotterdammerung time? I don't think it's quite as bad as it was in the early uh, 2000s where you know Germany weren't producing any good coaches or players. We have good coaches and players. The problem is that most of them don't play or coach in Germany. So, you know, of course it makes a big difference if you have two teams coached by Guardiola and Klopp or if you have two of the best teams coached by Favre and Nick Kovac. And there is, there is talent coming through. It's perhaps not as numerous as before. But the problem is that you've seen a Bayern and I think Dortmund is, is quite a different story because that's mostly about inexperience and a team that's not quite ready yet for, uh, for these big, big European occasions. But when you look at Bayern, they kind of knew that it wasn't going to be that easy this year with Niko Kovac and a team that it was very clearly in transition and needs, needs freshening up. At the same time, I think they've underestimated just how poor uh, Kovac's coaching when it comes to real ideas with the ball was. And individually, they're not quite good enough to do without that. So I think you need to have a much more balanced uh, squad and a balanced setup because if your quality of players is decreasing, and it ha- certainly has been over the last couple of years, and that's not offset by some really fresh and, and clever ideas from, from the coaching, then you're left with um, sort of a, a cumulative negative effect. And I think they need to admit to themselves that a lot of change is necessary if they are to come back to really competing in the Champions League again. Raphael Honigstein. What a performance by Liverpool then, particularly against that build-up of people saying Klopp looks nervous and they should be sacrificing Champions League for the, the league and that, an emphatic response, even if the game wasn't that high level. Yeah, I didn't think it was that high level. And in, in fairness, they, they didn't even have to play their A game to go through because Bayern, were, like we said, it was so bad that it was it was enough to play like that for Liverpool, Mane. It's 10 goals in the last 10, I think, in all competitions. And the fact that Kimmich was suspended at right back and had the poor Rafinha, who, even before the game, on paper, if you looked at the key duels in that game, you could easily say that Mane was going to humiliate Rafinha and that's exactly what he did from start to finish, to be fair. Rafinha was never masochistic. Yeah, Yeah. no, but Rafinha was never going to be good enough anyway. So unless they double up on, on Mane, which they never, it looked like they never even tried to do, it was always going to be a bit like that. And my goal of, of the week, by the way, oh, yeah. is the, uh, the money header, the second one, because oh, yeah, the no. cross from Salah, uh-huh. I think, is incredible. And you can argue that he hasn't scored for six games now and he's so low and blah, blah, blah. But to put a cross like that, in a game like that, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying the money header, which surprised me because I just thought that first money goal was amazing. Uh, ahead of the draw, which takes place on Friday morning, of course, Liverpool know that they'll be without... Andy Robertson for the first leg of the quarterfinal, whoever that may be against. How much of an issue is that, Jack? Alberto Moreno would be the natural substitute, but I've, I've a feeling he might move Milner there Surely, yeah. just for the extra security. Does that and... still work? I thought the people had decided that that wasn't quite as good an option as it used to be. Alberto Moreno, I think. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> All right. So potential alarm bell there mm. for Liverpool ahead of that uh, quarterfinal draw, which will, of course, feature... Juventus, who came storming back against Atletico Madrid. Uh, incredible atmosphere there. And I think just a, more of a buzz about this game Tuesday night as uh, they faced off against Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. 
who should have sealed this in the game at the Wanda and paid the price for that and their inability to, to take the game to Juve. Having said that, I mean, this has been hailed as not just a, a phenomenal performance by Cristiano Ronaldo with his hat-trick, but especially the manager Allegri for his choices, just a, a managerial masterstroke, Jack. Yeah, I think that's right. I You look at the, the starting lineups; they were both weakened by, by absences at full-back, which has been a bit of a theme this week. We talked about Rafinha there with Juventus without Alexandro, but Leonardo Spinazzola came in and did very well, whereas Atletico were out with, without Felipe Luiz and didn't look so convincing at fullback. Santiago Arias had quite a torrid time, I thought. But then you look at, I think the main thing with Allegri were, was his substitutions. They were just so pioneering, so daring, taking off Spinazzola and putting on Dybala. So you basically had Bernadeschi playing as a wing back. That's daring. He brought on Moise Keane, who you know, just reappeared at the weekend in Serie A, scoring twice, but hadn't really featured in the Champions League, but he was willing to throw him on. These decisions could easily have backfired. You know, maybe on another night he would be getting chewed out by us here, but I thought it was fantastic that he was willing to take those chances. And you look at Simeone on the other dugout when Atletico needed a spark, needed something, and I think he was just too passive. There there wasn't enough uh, invention there. We give this game a right old going over in Galatsu this week, in which... We're also doing other exciting things like talking about the rest of Trapattoni's career that we haven't previously done and, excitingly, the Milan derby, which is coming up this Sunday night. But let's just have a quick word. Oh, Daniel. I was going to say that Allegri's tactics as well were, were quite courageous because in the first leg, Juventus attempted eight crosses from open play and they attempted 32 on Tuesday night. So he basically just said, right, we're going to serve as Cristiano Ronaldo. This is his time. He's brilliant in the air, even against two of the best defensive central defenders in the world. Um, and it worked. And if it hadn't worked, you can imagine that some Juventus players might have thought, well, hang on a minute, we're good players as well. Just If, we're, if our only task is crossing the ball to someone in the box, it feels a bit cheap. Right. But actually now he's got a plan that if that can work against Atletico, it can work against anyone. So he'll think this might be their route to win the Champions League if they go back to that kind of basic formation of just servicing Ronaldo with crosses. It's nice when players live up to their billing. Cristiano Ronaldo brought in to be the Champions League guy with his track record, and he does it. Atletico now been knocked out of every Champions League knockout stage that they've been in since 2013-14 by a team containing Cristiano Ronaldo. And the last four hat-tricks that have been scored against Atletico in all competitions, scored by him. No one else has scored a hat-trick against Simeone's Atletico. No. Yeah. Wow. No one else. Jules, I know you were struck by Giorgio Collini, or perhaps you were only pretending. No, no, no. It's just I think the uh, the landmark of the 500 games for Juve in all competition. I think is pretty. He incredible. celebrated it in style, didn't he? He gave it a a performance worthy of that figure. Yeah, very theatrical at times, maybe a bit too much. Uh, that little incident at the end with with Correa in the box. That I don't know. Some some say that maybe. At least the ref could have had a look at, or VAR could have had a look at it. But right. 500 games, really. Well, Del Piero, Buffon, Skirea, and I think there's someone else like a long, long time ago to, to, to get to 500 games for yeah. Juve is incredible. It was ridiculous, some of his yeah, play it acting. Was. But he's also so effective. That, that header that, uh, that he produced when it was, I think, still 1-0. Yeah. Oh, he's, I know. Yeah. Mm, I like the Killini. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Also living up to their billing this week, Leo Messi, Jules. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, I don't know. Um, Cristiano's performance on Tuesday might have swung a few people towards the, you know, the Ronaldo goat side more than the Messi goat side maybe I don't know I think he have to be one or the other Let's yeah play. yeah. I mean I don't get those things like you, you yeah, tweeted Gary can Lineker, we have yeah. both no we can't have both you choose <laughs> you choose you don't have both you choose I still think personally that Messi is an absolute genius mm-hmm. that was born with an incredible talent that is bigger than anyone else going out on a limb here <laughs> and and I think Cristiano, who's an incredible player, yep. had to work far harder right. than Messi to get to where he is. Anyway, it's, that's it's just my opinion. It's a nature-nurture. Uh... Yeah, I think so, no, for, right. in that case. But, but, but Ronaldo was born with, I mean, with some talent as well. Obviously, you don't get, you know, you could, couldn't work as hard as Ronaldo and get to where he is. No offense. No, okay. I mean, it's an opinion, but okay. <laughs> but the, the thing that gets me is like, if he really wanted to play for the whole 90 minutes, right. he could score 10 goals a game. I'm convinced by it. It's just that sometimes in a game like yesterday, for example, where he knows that his team is by far better than Lyon, that he is by far better than anyone else on that pitch, 
just saying, yeah, I'm going to play when I want to. And when he does, then something happens. And then when he doesn't, he doesn't. Yeah. What a period that was when he suddenly switched it on. He sits yeah. a couple of Leon defenders down. And then the run, that breakaway move for what was, I think, the fourth goal where he breaks upfield from a Leon corner. Yeah. And I know everyone loved his shimmy, which basically took the players out of it on, on, the, uh, on the second goal. Yeah. But th- th- he does a little stutter on his on his run upfield, which completely throws whoever it is who's trying to mark him. And I can't work out how he does it, but basically at full tilt, he just suddenly kind of pauses, but then continues on, and the, the guy goes all the way over. And then he, he puts it across for Pique. It was magnificent. Ends 5-1 anyway, and, and, and Barcelona goes through uh, to the quarterfinal draw where they'll be the team that everyone's hoping to avoid, will they? Or will it be Man City? I was surprised to see that, looking this morning, that... that Manchester City are favourites and Barcelona are clear second favourites. I would have thought it would be the other way around, given their Champions League heritage and given that within Barcelona there is an urge to get Messi at least one more Champions League title. It's noted that Ronaldo is one ahead at the moment uh, and they would like Messi to draw level. Um, so, yeah, I'm surprised that they are second favourites. I think they are the team everyone will want to avoid. Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. Plus they can pretty much coast through the rest of the league campaign. They're miles ahead in mm. In La Liga. All right. Unlike City, who only have a one-point lead over Liverpool, but did do Schalke 7-0 on Tuesday night. It's the seventh time, says Daniel Story, <laughs> this season that Man City have scored six or more goals. Uh, to put that in perspective, Jules, that's more times than Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain, Atletico Madrid, Juventus and Bayern Munich combined. Yeah. I was there at the game and it was... It was in the first 30 minutes were really, really average from City and Pep was going mad. We had a seat not far behind his bench and you could hear him towards Bernardo Silva, David Silva especially, and, and Aguero. Aguero was the one that he was really not happy with. And uh, What was he not happy about? By his movement off the ball. I mean, he looked, he looked very sloppy from City that first half an hour anyway. They were not aggressive enough. He, he explained to us, I was covering the game for French TV, so we had, we had Pep for quite a long time in interview afterwards. And he said, those games are tricky because you don't really know how to approach it. Because, you, you know, there's the first leg and you don't want to undo what you did in the first leg, obviously. Uh, and he said, that's why after we scored the first goal, and especially the second one came quickly after, then, then we were like free flow because we knew we were through, basically. And after that, we really played our game. Uh, and it's something that in case it happened again in a quarterfinal against a better side than Schalke, they might have to be careful with because it was just not good enough that first half hour if they were a bit nervous or not really know what to do. But he was getting them a proper like rollicking on the touchline. It was quite right. incredible. OK, well, it worked out well enough for them, 7-0. A lot of people talking about the lack of enthusiasm uh, among the City fans and their celebrations. To what extent, and I don't want to bang on about it, but did the interminable VAR delays having killing the vibe at the Etihad. The first goal, the second goal? Yeah. Two the, minutes 45. That guy next to me who must have been easily, I don't know, 75 because right. I had an observer seat so I was not in the, in the press box. His wife was next to him, stood up and for literally the whole two minutes and 50 seconds that we waited for VAR, abused the ref like I've never seen it get on with things with the love swearing as well and clearly you could see how frustrated they, they were getting and I don't really know why because he you know even if that goal hadn't stood mm. they, they were they were by far the better side yeah but that's not why they're frustrated they're frustrated because you want to get on with the game yeah true but but I mean in a way it's not a bad thing that they're just checking to make sure that you know if, if yeah, that would happen on a Schalke goal yeah. would he have shouted the same way no I just think that you can't have any measure, however however forensic it is, that stops a game dead for 2 minutes 45 on a regular basis anyway. But uh, what would help if they were yeah. showing on the big screen, which not all stadiums have. Right. I get that. Like Old Trafford, you don't have big screens in the stadium, so you wouldn't be able to see. But that would help a lot people's frustration if at least they could show what you see in your television at home right. in the stadium. All right. Lots of good goals anyway when, when play actually happened. Yeah, they... It's easy to forget the City were 2-1 down after 85 minutes of the first leg, (laughs) given that they won so handsomely. But a couple of managers recently, Eddie Howe for one, and probably Javi Gracia as well, and maybe even Rafa Benitez, have got some stick for being very defensive against City. But you can see why when they play as they did against Schalke, who were so loose at the back. I mean, they were. it wasn't as if they were trying to attack. They were just not very good at defending. But you can see why managers do put people behind the ball because it's quite easy to get properly embarrassed, properly humiliated by a team like that. And 
you know, that can last for two or three games longer than just the 90 minutes that you're playing against City. Yeah. Rinse like the dishes I put in my dishwasher, Jack. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola said before the game that City are still teenagers in the competition, but this was teenagers v toddlers. Oh, right, felt, nice. Felt quite sorry for Schalke. I like the performance of Ilkay Gundogan. Because they did have a teenager, Phil Foden, who became the youngest English player to score in the Champions did. League. They a very nice goal. But sorry, back to your point about Ilkay Gundogan. Watching him in this game, obviously there are caveats here because Schalke were, were poor and yeah, they, they, just, they just weren't closing oh. him down. But it struck me that in games like this, when you don't need a physical presence in defence midfield, so we know City do need to replace Fernandinho, I think. But in games like this, Gundogan perhaps is as good an option. You know, we wonder if they'd signed Jorginho. Jorginho would probably be playing games like this. But I think Gundogan is every bit as effective, probably a more pioneering passer. Four or five times in the first half, uh, twice for the first goal and the run-up to the penalty, to Sterling ahead of the second goal. And he just clips his gorgeous passes over the defence. Schalke was standing off him, so it was, it was quite easy. But the technical skill was, was very good. And a lot of the assists, I thought, in this game were, were really nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. The draw then is on Friday. Michael Prescott says, are you lot as excited as I am about the return of quarterfinal and semi-final draws happening on the same day so that we know all possible matchups for the route to the final? Yes, I think no. Yeah, it surprised me. I, I hadn't, hadn't clocked that until last night. Um, I don't know the real, I guess, I don't really know the reason for it because it's not like anyone can will book anything until they know they're through anyway. So right. it's a slightly strange one. But yeah, I'm all for it. It gives sides a, certainly if you get a favourable draw in the quarters and you know who your opponent is coming up, that's that's, really, that's great. No Real Madrid and Bayern in that draw. An interesting note from Miguel Delaney who points out that this, this season will be the first time we've had a semi-final without one of those two teams in a decade. It's also odd that Liverpool are the only semi-finalists from last season left in the competition. Yeah. Because Roma went out, Bayern went out, and, and Real Madrid went out. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about Liverpool marrying together both competitions, but if they look at last season's form, they'll think, well, we should win this competition. Perhaps so. All right. Well, Real Madrid, of course, managed to make news midweek anyway by unveiling Zinedine Zidane uh, in some fashion as their new manager. Mr KM tweets, ZZ, stop. How about those trousers? They were real turn fashion. for the books. Yeah. Fashion. <laughs> We'll discuss uh, the developments at Rail and get on to the FA Cup and stuff after this. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, and always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. Season season by 18plusbegambleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Alvaro! Hey, hello, James. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Very well. Congratulations for Juventus' victory. Oh, thanks very much. For you as an Italian football fan. Right. Yeah, no, I was delighted. Obvs. And, you know, shame for Diego Simeone. But let's talk about the other side of Madrid, who went crashing out previously, uh, Alvaro, and have decided, following uh, subsequent disappointments, to bring back Zinedine Zidane. Given the way he left, given how they've collapsed without him, no question who's wearing the trousers as he returns. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, he he will. Uh, you will think that he has been promised a lot from Real Madrid president. Uh, one thing is for sure that uh, there will be changes uh, and there will be also signings and departures in Real Madrid because Zinedine Zidane left for a reason a year ago. He knew that uh, a change was needed, and in fact, that's exactly what he said uh, when he appeared in front of media during his presentation last Tuesday. And, uh, he said literally that when he left, it was the, the best decision for everyone. But now they will change things because they have to change things for next year. So this is, uh, I think, that the motto for Real Madrid uh, for the next uh, four or five months. Things will happen. What will happen? Well, you will think that Gareth Bale probably will leave Real Madrid because, as you may remember, at the end of the Champions League final last year, he hinted that he was unhappy with the manager. And uh, Zinedine Zidane 
obviously is back at Real Madrid and Gareth Bale is not having a good season. So the strong position, the strong hand is in Zinedine Zidane now. So this could be the end of Gareth Bale at Real Madrid. And it could be also the end of some other promising youngsters that they were doing all right under Solari, the likes of Marco Llorente as well and it can be a revamping for some modern players like Isco, Benzema, Marcelo or maybe Keylor Navas who knows because Keylor Navas has been always the favourite of Zinedine Zidane Alvaro, a lot of people asking why has he gone back? Well, if you listen to his words he said that he wanted to put the club back where it should be and he never had any doubts about returning well, from what I know he had doubts about returning and uh, he refused or he rejected uh, the first uh, offers or initial contacts uh, with Real Madrid president. Then at the end, it was when he accepted. Why does he return? Well, my surmise here is that he has been promised that this summer he will be able to do whatever he wants in the transfer market. I don't know if Real Madrid will go for uh, the likes of Harry Kane now, uh, because Benzema, we all know that uh, is Zinedine Zidane's favourite, but probably a long-time dream of Zinedine Zidane, Eden Hazard, could be one of these players that comes to Real Madrid. Mm, also, uh, for sure, not having signed any Galactico for four years uh, means that probably Real Madrid isn't ready to make a big investment. This doesn't mean that Real Madrid has been keeping their money in the pocket because last summer, uh, for instance, they spent over 100 million pounds in the likes of Mariano, Odriozola or Courtois. They haven't done big investments, but they have invested some money in many players, but still, they haven't been just uh, being scrooge about it. Okay. And uh, for example, today, they have signed Militao for next season. This is official now, and they have paid 50 million euros for a centre-back that comes from Porto. Give us an educated guess, Alvaro, as to what Real Madrid's front three will be next season? I would say that uh, Eden Hazard, Marco Asensio and someone else that I will call Karim Benzema now because he's Zinedine Zidane's favourite but uh, with the numbers of uh, Karim Benzema in your hand uh, you would say that he hasn't done enough to deserve uh, um, the striker of a team that uh, wants to win the Champions League again but at the minute I would say Asensio, Eden Hazard and Karim Benzema. Okay. Many thanks, Alvaro. Look forward to following these developments with you. Uh, in the meantime, enjoying your work as ever on TalkSport International. I feel bad for poor old Jose Mourinho, who wasted half a dozen casual walks up and down the pavement outside his he Chelsea tried his home. Best, though. He tried his hardest to get that job. Right. Anyway. Uh, ooh! So what, there's some real cup action coming up this weekend with the return of the FA Cup. It's quarterfinals. Have you seen those fixtures, Daniel? I have. Mm-mm-mm. Saturday, Watford Palace, Swansea Man City, Wolves Man United and Sunday Millwall Brighton. Oh, at first sight, not too much for neutrals to rearrange their schedules over. Uh, or, yeah, no. I think Wolves Man United is not Wolves Man United. It's going to yeah. be a great game yeah. because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to get that job. But I think if you look to potential managers that are on the lists or maybe towards the bottom of lists of big clubs then Nuno should be one of them because his overachievement this season I think has been exceptional right. um, and Solskjaer is a big game for Solskjaer having you know, stumbled against Arsenal I, I didn't think they played badly but it does damage their top four hopes so if he can win an FA Cup, that will be massive because these they are the things that you know Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal kind of hung their hat on winning the trophies. Um, uh, and he can just go at it. And there is now competition for places that Manchester United team. Players are coming back. I think that's a really, really good game. Excellent. They got a 1-1 draw, Wolves, at Old Trafford mm. back in September when United were under their previous management. They're not... When you look at the results in the best of form of late, one win in their last five, but they did look good away at Chelsea last weekend. Yeah, I think the way they play is quite well suited to to games against the bigger sides because they're very good on the counter-attack. They've slightly changed systems over the course of the year. They Earlier in the season, it was kind of Raul Jimenez with, with two men either side of him, like, you know, Helder Costa, these kind of guys. But now it's it's really him and uh, Diogo Jota. And they dovetail really well. They take it in turns, really, to, to be the central forward. They both run the channels well. They, they've got a very good understanding and those two, it seems, a lot of the time can cause defences problems on the break, just those two. So they, they don't always need to bomb men forward. They've got the wing-backs, obviously, who do contribute. And so in, in games when the opponents will dominate possession, I, I imagine this will be one of them. They, they'll cede a lot of possession. They, they can 
pose real problems on the break. And I think this this is going to be a really close game. I'm really excited about it. Interesting. Meantime, Jules, Watford and Palace kick the round off Saturday midday. You love Ben Foster, and you <laughs> and you really like Crystal Palace. So you're yeah. a, you're, I don't know who I'll, you'll be divided yeah. over this one. No? I would be. Yeah, I'd be rooting for Ben, though I have to say. Yeah, yeah. It's been two one two. Ben's Hornets in both meetings so far this season. How much of a guide is that? I'm not sure. I mean, they're home, and and I think they, you know, they they've, they've showed in in the league this season that they that they are so well disciplined, so well organized, and so well drilled. I think, and and games like that where you would put them favourite, I think they usually they usually pretty good for that. You know, they 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 cope well with the expectations and the pressure of going through it. I think it's a big game for them because they, it's a competition they would fancy going far. Mm. And and I, ho- I hope they win the FA Cup this season. It would be great for them. OK. They came close. Do you remember in 2016 when they got to the final? And that was after beating uh, Watford. Pardew's dance, yeah, after the yeah, goal. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Shame. Well done. Yeah. Also on Saturday, Swansea host Man City. That one's at 20 past five. So far, teams facing City in a cup this season, Jack. We've seen Rotherham. We had that 7-0 defeat. There was a 4-1 against Newport, 9-0 against Burton, 7-0 just this week against Schalke. Uh, how do Swansea's chances look? They lie 15th in the Championship and have lost three of the last five. I would say they look especially bad if it goes to penalties based on Bersant Celina's ah. midweek effort. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Is he a permanent? Permanent, yeah. Oh, so he play, used yeah. to play for City and just took the worst penalty I have ever seen. It was extraordinary. For anyone who hasn't none. seen it yeah. and doesn't yet have it burned on their retinas, could you describe it? I think the, the best thing to say would be that ignoring the players who ran in to, to follow up, if the ball had been left on its trajectory, it wouldn't have gone more than five metres. Right, and it was heading for a throw-in, I think. <laughs> well, it was yeah. heading just to stop in the penalty area, which is quite impressive. Anyway, 5-0 and 4-0 to Man City the last two times these teams played in the same league. was uh, last season, of course, the Premier League. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you're not too hopeful of an upset there. What about what about the, uh, the other Premier League side in action, Brighton, who on Sunday, Daniel, will go to Millwall, who have an amazing record in the FA Cup. Yeah, I think since the start of the season, they reached the FA Cup final. They've reached more quarterfinals than Liverpool, I think I'm right in saying. Wow. Which is, um, I mean, Liverpool do, over the last 15 years, have kind of treated the FA Cup like a poor relation, but even so, it's mad. Um, and they'll fancy themselves against, you know, Brighton are, if we're going to stereotype them, are a kind of nice, well-meaning, forward-thinking, good club. Uh, and that's exactly what Millwall will want to face because they'll just want to get amongst them um, to resort to awful football cliche and they will fancy themselves, they mm. really will. All right, they got past Everton mm. with a little bit of help, I think, from, from some favourable decisions in, yep. in the fourth round. But as you say, an amazing record. They've got the best record in the FA Cup of any club outside the top top flight. Brighton, meanwhile, won at Palace, of course, last weekend nearby. Julian, what are you laughing about? Uh, James Horncastle being a clown there. Has he just walked by? Yeah, he just walked by. He's, he's, he's blowing kisses. Is he just coming on his days off like David Brown? I don't Brown? know. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, right. So th- that's, as I say, that's the lineup for the quarterfinals. Jack, which one are you excited about? Where are your juices flowing towards? Uh, Wolves United. Yeah. Man United, I think. Uh, not least, because there's still some novelty about a Saturday night game for me. I know... Mm. In the last few rounds of the FA Cup, it was quite annoying that there were very few games at Saturday at three o'clock and some of the tradition had gone out of it. When, once you get to this stage, I think it's nice to be able to watch them all. And yeah, I think that should be fun. Absolutely. Jules? Yeah, same one. Because I think if United do get beaten by Wolves, then the road to uh, the quadruple for City is even more open with that FA Cup you know, win, like very likely, I guess I would say. And then it's just down to the Premier League and the Champions League, which are the obviously the two hardest to get, but it's maybe one one less on Pep's mind and his players. All right. Well, the Premier League this weekend may see them lose the lead for reasons we'll be discussing right after this. Bizarre Premier League returns this weekend with a smattering of fixtures, only the five. You're going to one of them, Daniel. It's Everton-Chelsea. Everton only had one win in their last six, and that was against Cardiff. Yes, the two highest-profile managers, I'd say, who are under the most pressure at the moment. Okay, Marco Silva, obviously, 
Everton lost at Newcastle last week, having been 2-0 up. Um, there is still a vulnerability there that he's not been able to solve, um, despite spending a fair amount of money on defenders. And Mauricio Sarri's Chelsea have kind of become non-Mauricio Sarri's Chelsea. They've, he's changed things, which I think Michael Cox was saying on a Monday show, that's great. It's great that he's showing a willingness to change. But if you stop, if you arrive as this ideological philosophy manager and then show a willingness to change, you might as well have someone else in if you're not going to play Mauricio Sarri football. It's a strange one. But um, yeah, so it feels a really, really big game. Obviously, Chelsea, no one else is playing in that race for the top four. So right. Chelsea need to win. Chelsea need to take advantage of that. But if Everton lose at home, Silver will be under pressure. They could potentially drop to. I think 13th this weekend Everton which yeah. is given the money he spent and the money they spent to get him is really not very good mm. Chelsea in the meantime have heard that they won't be able to put a freeze on that transfer I think, yeah I think that it's a sl- not misinformation but oh. I think Chelsea have obviously reacted to that and reacted to it in a way that suggests that they're not going to be able to change that I think from what I've heard the idea is that it's going to be able to be fast-tracked before the summer so that maybe they could get a decision before the summer that, that would then enable them possibly to still buy players. If for once... Put it this way, I wouldn't rule out them still being able to buy players this okay, summer. OK, but as it stands, the punishment is two transfer windows. Yeah, at the moment it's two transfer windows and a, a non-acceptance of an appeal, but I think they will take that to the to CAS, to the Court of Arbitration of Sport, to be able to freeze it. Right. You can still sell players, though, with yes, a transfer ban. but they won't because they can't buy. so They, they would sell one for sure. There's no way Eden yeah. Hazard staying at that club this summer. So Even if they make the top four, would that have any impact on his I decision? I don't think so. I think he's made his mind up already a long time ago. Well, I think he, he had some yeah. assurances from the club as well and Marina Gronovskaya that he could go. And then he will have only one year left on his contract. So that would mean living on a free the following summer and having him on a season where he doesn't want to be there. So uh, it, it, doesn't, it, it wouldn't make sense for, for Chelsea anyway. Which Everton are going to turn up for this one, do you think, Jack? The battling Merseyside derby version, or the the one that's been wobbling all over the place in other fixtures. It's they're a coin toss team. I think it's, right. it's really hard to predict anything they're doing. I wouldn't feel confident about backing them in any single match. Really, mm. they can turn it on if need be, but I think Chelsea probably will have just about enough here, even though they've got that long trip to to Kiev tonight. Oh yeah, they do, don't they? Mm. On, a, on a very bad pitch, apparently. Maurizio Sarri is not not happy about it. He's not happy about the pitch. Nope. Right. Okay. By the way, if you're excited by uh, footballing events on Merseyside, let me just remind you that we're going to be Monday week in Liverpool at the Epstein Theatre with Rory Smith, Duncan Alexander and Sasha Gurionov. We'll be talking about Everton, the other lot, top four, all sorts of things. And you can get tickets at epsteinliverpool.co.uk. Speaking of Liverpool, as they could retake the lead this weekend in the Premier League if, if... They can win away at Fulham. Mm. Yeah, I think they probably will. I watched Fulham at Leicester last weekend and I've not seen that much of them live this season, but I couldn't believe how easily they're kind of bullied off the ball. They just look... I mean, firstly, defenders aren't good enough. But if you're not good enough in the Premier League, and there are plenty of defences in the Premier League that aren't good enough, Cardiff is one, um, then you at least try and be resilient and you try and be physical. Fulham are just nothing. It's like they've just been thrown onto the pitch. They've just got no fight. Um, so I've got no... Did they not look any better under Scotty Parker? No, I, I, I mean, he's only just come in and I think he will probably be a sh- very short-term option until the end of the season and I don't think he's ready for that level of management yet. Um, I think they will go down a very a different route, not least because they're the guys in charge of recruitment, uh, uh, kind of footballing magpies who get their attention taken by shiny things and big names. So yeah. I think they'll try and do the same. But no, they just look very, very broken at the moment and yeah I think they're almost the most ideal team for Liverpool to play which means they'll probably win 2-0 Okay, they've had 11 goals in the last three visits Liverpool to Craven Craven Cottage Uh, the other games this weekend are all at the bottom what we got here Bournemouth against Newcastle who could actually overtake the Cherries in the league this weekend if they get the win and it's by three goals or more uh, also, Burnley taking on Leicester. Burnley, who really need the points. They've lost their last three. They've got big fixtures coming up against this. West Ham up against Huddersfield. And uh, that's it. Jules, what piques your interest there? Um, I guess the, the Bournemouth-Newcastle game, yeah. I think, is interesting. Bournemouth had a stop the ro- stop, stop a, a rotting yeah, resort at the weekend, mm. uh, which was, you know, 
really needed for them. They've they've done the yo-yo so much in the league. I mean, they were six at some point and then dropped and then go back up and drop again because they've got a series of results, whether they're positive or negative, um, all season. But it's still, I think, I find a pleasure. I've seen them a few times this season to to watch them, whether they win or lose. Uh, but at home, they've been usually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, they looked great against Chelsea, didn't they? Yeah, they were fantastic. Win. A, they got Callum Wilson back as well. Yeah, true. And... Mm. In the England squad as well. Yes. Well timed return from injury. Mm. I, wonder if, I wonder if at the start of the season anyone would have predicted Callum Wilson being called up by England. You did, didn't you? <laughs> so at <laughs> least like, one came in for yeah, you. Just like yeah, one came in. Okay, Palace, we stay up. <laughs> yeah. And PSG are not going to win the Champions League. Not yet. Newcastle, <laughs> who had their problems on, on the road, are going to be without the suspended Fabian Scher. Mm. And apparently, Lachelle is also a doubt. They've got to share around the defensive opportunities. Oh. Uh, it's worth saying that Bournemouth's strong home record is especially uh, relevant against sides outside of the top six. Oh. So they're kind of they're quite flat track bullies at at Dean Court. Yep. Yeah, Vitality I, I, I Stadium. Briefly forgot what their stadium was called. Uh, so they last lost to a non top six team at home in November two thousand seventeen. That's right. Okay. Very very strong. Strong. Okay, we mentioned uh, Burnley Leicester, but Jules, I want to get your impression of the fantastic start that Tillemans, he's been looking fabulous. He has, yeah, he has. And and I mean, the talent was always there. I just think the things that happened at Monaco while he was there Mm. just didn't help him. Mm. And it's good that he's doing well because Monaco don't want him back anyway. Really? But they want to keep Adrian Silva, who's doing well for them. And Tillemans, who's doing well for Leicester, I'm not sure wants to go back to Monaco either. Do they play in the same position? They're different profiles, but playing the same position. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so I think I think there will be a, a swap with a bit of money from Leicester to Monaco, uh, because Tillemans obviously has a higher value than than Adrian Silva. Leicester, but Leicester won't make a better signing this summer, whatever they do. He's just so classy on the board. Yeah. I mean, you saw him last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the thing is, for Rodgers, because he's, he's such a Rodgers type mm. of player, and he, he he's young. He wants the ball. He passes through the lines. They had they've had Ben Chilwell and Harvey Barnes and James Madison all kind of running around him, and he just picks his pass. It's perfect. But again, it's a game where there was no pressure on him. As yeah. soon as you're going to get physical with him, that's that's the only area where he has to improve if he really wants to be a success in the Premier League. Is that there will be games where he he would get bullied, or they will try to bully him, and he would have to respond in a way. This, this what, might be one of them. Yeah, maybe. What's impressed me most about him, you know, from his time in. Uh, Belgium and at Monaco his passing has always been really good but the engine on him I think has been amazing he gets up and past Vardy so much more often than you know different type of player to James Madison but they're both playing in that line behind Vardy Rodgers said he wanted people in and around Vardy a bit more because he was a bit isolated Tillman's just bombs on so often he's got real pace off the ball we saw it in the in the first goal at the weekend against Fulham and Mm. really good I have to say people in and around Vardy is a it's an image I'm going to treasure. <laughs> not, in, not in casinos. <laughs> but uh, yes. Anyway, so there you go. Leicester, it could be a tough game that for all Burnley's recent travails after going on that eight-game unbeaten run. As I mentioned before, they've lost their last three and they're only two points off the drop. Yeah, and they had a, a horrific set of results last weekend before they played as well. They wouldn't have expected to take any. They probably got a better result or scoreline at Anfield than most people expected. But... Yeah, the results just went completely against them. Obviously, Cardiff won and um, Brighton won and Southampton won and you know Newcastle won. So they've just slipped right down the table. And they had, they've already had their kind of bump uh, with Tom Heaton coming back in with Dwight McNeil as a kind of young player. And I saw people talking last week saying maybe it's time to move McNeil out of the team and go kind of ultra-defensive with these things and really go back to basics because, yeah, they're sinking at the moment. Mm. Huddersfield looks sunk. They are at West Ham. Funnily enough, one of the 14 points that they've picked up this season and one of the 15 goals they've scored, they both came in in the reverse fixture. 1-1 at uh, John Smith's. Not much expectation of them getting another one here, I imagine. No, I'm going to see Jan Siewert next week. Are you? Um, And it's a funny one because, yeah, it's, it's hard to know for him, it must be a very strange job because he's basically been brought in for next season and yeah. been told that um, kind of nothing, it doesn't matter now, just let's get through this. I think the club accepted they're already relegated, but obviously he hasn't had a bounce, so it, it is hard to know. The, I mean, the team is no good, nowhere near good enough for the Premier mm. League. The, the, the achievement was staying up last season, I don't think there's any doubt about that, but it is quite a difficult scenario to manage when you're so used to losing. West Ham, coming off that rotten game, 
away against Cardiff. Oof. But Declan Rice will be on a high named to Gareth Southgate's squad for the upcoming Euro qualifiers, just a day after being named as the Republic of Ireland's Young Player of the Year. Interesting. I mean, you know, it was always going to turn out that way, I guess. Yeah. But It's a nice story, but he, mm. he is... He was their best young player, and he was playing for Ireland at the time. So it's kind of, I know it's a bit of a joke, but they couldn't give it to anyone else. Really. There was no one else anywhere near him at his level at Ireland at his age. Well, will his will his special week continue with a standout performance against Huddersfield? We shall see. Meantime, there's big things awaiting us on the continent uh, this weekend. Jules will be telling us about Le Classique after this. Jules, we're all looking forward to Le Classique on Sunday night. Is it at the Velodrome or at the Parc des Princes? At the Parc des Princes. Is it the Parc des Princes? Exciting as it will be, I'm not sure if it will match the drama of Carlisle Knotts County (laughs) and uh, Hallam Hope's remarkable goal. A remarkable game of grandmother's footsteps followed by a goal. Yeah. I know it's been done before, but rarely has it been such a kind of... You love it. You love it every time. Yeah. Yeah. You just love it every time. Anyway, uh, super. But yes, the classique. 24 points between these two sides coming into this. But it's fair to say that the Marseillais are on the march. Well, Mario Balotelli especially is mm. on the march. Him and Florian Thauvin, their relationship uh, burgeoning, really, and the way they play with each other, they, their celebrations as well. We saw Balotelli um, posting a, a live Instagram story when he mm. scored uh, the following weekend. Uh, this weekend was, uh, how do you say in English? Paper? Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, that's it, yeah. with Thauvin. How do you call that in France? Uh, Pierre Cisofeuille. So scissors and and uh, fier, uh, pa- paper is that? A so we say we say feuille for papier, yeah. for paper, yeah. and then scissors, ciseaux, yeah. and then stone for pierre for stone. Okay. Yeah, right. Sorry, anyway. Sorry, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Balotelli hasn't scored in, in the first six months of the season for Nice. Now has right. five in seven for, for Marseille. Including one against Nice. Including one against Nice, which didn't go down well because he, keep, he kept insulting his former teammates and former manager, Patrick Vieira, which is... I mean, what during the game or just kind of? Yeah, half time during the game. Really? What yeah. Did so now the, all the Nice players are coming out and say like, you know, why? Why did he do this? They, he he should respect us. He didn't run at all for us in six months, and now he changed clubs, and suddenly he's a, he's the world beater that he's, he's always supposed to be anyway because right. he's that good. So. so why didn't he do it at Nice? I don't know. I think he didn't want to stay there in the summer, but no one came for him. Marseille had a, tried a little bit, but it was not good enough. I think he always thought that. He belonged to a bigger club, a better club, and in fairness, Marseille are a much bigger club than, right. than Nice. Will it last more than six months, do you think? That's the question. It's a big debate in France. Some, and the, the Nice players said it. He said uh, they warned Marseille fans and said he will let you down at some point very, very soon. So we'll have to see. But for now, it's working so well. They've changed their tactics and their formations, Rudy Garcia, to accommodate him. So it's a 4-4-2 now, which works very well for him. And this is a big game because if PSG don't win on Sunday um, after what happened against United, the whole stadium is going to go ballistic and the ultras are going to create chaos for that club. They created chaos. Um, so, so Tuchel gave the players three days off after the United defeat. He gave them three days off? Yeah, which a lot of people didn't like. And also you think that after such a bad performance in many ways, that what they deserved is a seven o'clock call-up time at the training mm. ground the next day. But, you know, that's what he did. And then they trained at the, at the Parc des Princes and the ultras, uh, the ultras in, in, uh, invited themselves. OK. And it was ugly. It was quite ugly. So if they lose on Sunday against Marseille, even if they draw, it's going to get even uglier between the ultras and the is, players. Is Tuchel in any trouble? No, he's going to get a new deal, actually. He's going to get yeah. an extension deal. And, and probably rightly so, because he's been very good. He was a bit passive, like we said about Simeone. Mm-hmm. Mm. Against United, I think, and maybe it was a new. That said, they content. they were that close to, to going through, no, just that yeah contentious handball decision. Yeah, because yeah, he, he could. He, I mean, that's what he said. He said you can't explain the un- explain the unexplainable. There, there's no uh, rational explanation for that defeat. It's impossible. And I've watched the game again four times, and I can tell four you four times, that, George. Yeah, I can't see any explanation on it's how. Like not taking enough notice the first three times, really. <laughs> No, no, it's just like in case I missed something in the first three times. You can say I missed something that Solskjaer did or United did special, or but there's nothing. So uh, he's not in trouble, but the players 
and the club would be if they don't win on Sunday. So it's a huge game. I mean, Marseille haven't beaten PSG since November 2011. So. Well, I know, yeah. And the aggregate score over the past two and a half seasons is 15-3. Yeah, because so, Marseille didn't have Balotelli. Yeah, and now with, with him, I mean, he. to be fair, whether you like him or not, he has given them so much since the end of January in terms of belief, in terms of momentum, everything, the way he's at the training, you know, at training, at the training ground, during games, you know, he's got that charisma and he's... Uh, it's, the impact he's had is, is quite remarkable, to be fair. How worried are they in Paris about Zidane's return to Real Madrid and what implications that might have for the likes of Mbappé and Neymar? Uh, for now, they're not worried at all. They said they're not going to let them go if, if Real Madrid come for them. It's impossible that Madrid uh, can afford them both anyway. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what PSG is saying. They're briefing people like, you would need... 700 million euros to buy them both which is in, they, they don't have the money but I mean, one of them Jules and one of them this this the question PSG said that both Neymar and Mbappe said we're staying and yeah. I, I, I struggled to see it happening but, but okay. maybe and like Alvaro said I think realistically even people in Spain don't really believe that either of them will, will happen okay uh, right Olympic Marseille coming into this game in fourth spot but only three points off the last of the Champions League Position so a whopping game mm. for both sides. All right, I mentioned before that you've got the Milan derby coming up Sunday night. Meanwhile, over on the Premier Sports, and that is a big one too. Just one point between Milan and Inter. Milan have moved past then it is already into third, uh, given uh, Inter's recent travails. Travails which have come without their top goal scorer and erstwhile captain Icardi, who is still not available mm. for them. That, that's the one I thought. Alvaro might mention. I thought yeah. that's now kind of, I mean, I know, I know they might have to do things in two stages, give finances wise. But if they could get Hazard and Icardi, they they're both players who we think want to join that club or want to probably leave where they are, and they're both quite relatively easy deals to do. I suspect. Mm. So that's the one I would have thought he was. Icardi, say. who is, as far as anyone knows, fit, but just refuses to turn up. Basically, is there any sign of that? Ending. Well, no, I think everyone assumed that he would certainly be there for this. I mean, this is a huge week for them. They have Eintracht Frankfurt. It was nil-nil in the first leg. His replacement, Lautaro Martinez, is suspended, so they really need him. And then they got the derby on Sunday, and I think everyone assumed he he would, you know, a view of the situation, recent kind of gestures towards him by the club, relent and, and come back. But uh, as it stands, no, he doesn't look to feature in, in either of them. But, but possibly, possibly he will be there on Sunday. Let's see. Always a big occasion, and particularly when they're battling for Champions League positions. Um, let's get some odds on some of the action coming up this weekend and more. Uh, courtesy of Paddy Power in conversation with producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line from Cheltenham. Lee, let's talk about the Champions League to start with. Four English teams in the draw for Friday's quarterfinals. Can we get the overall market here for the winners? After the heroics midweek, Liverpool are high up the betting for the Champions League outright. But Man City are the favourites still. They're 5-2 to, to win the thing. Second favourites, we've got Juve and Barcelona level at 7-2. Then comes Liverpool at 9-2. Following them, United at 10-1. Tottenham 16-1. Then things all get a bit long after them. OK, on to the FA Cup then. City are in action again against lower league opposition. They do like scoring lots of goals against them. Can they score five or more this weekend? Well, nothing's off the table with this team, is it? We're odds on that City score at least three goals at Swansea. And it's not that much longer they hit five. It's just two to one that they deliver a five-star performance. Or you can get 14 to one when then winning 5-0. Another 7-0, by the way, is 75 to one. And sticking with the greatest cup competition in the world, registered trademark, uh, can you please give me the odds on Wolves, Millwall and Watford all going through to the semi-finals? Well, I won't laugh, Ben, as you certainly seem to have the mildest touch when it comes to cup sets. This treble works out around 25 to 1 for you. Watford to beat Palace, as you might expect, is your shortest price leg. That's 13 to 10. And then things start to get chunkier. Wolves are 11 to 5 to beat United and Millwall are 5 to 2 to see off Brighton. Finally, it's a reduced fixture list in the Premier League this weekend, but Huddersfield could be off the bottom. Can they be 19th? I hope not, because I've got West Ham down as an absolute banker in my weekend Acker, so that would ruin that. Your bet here, Ben, is effectively a double on the Huddersfield and Liverpool winning. And while the Reds are a comfortable 1-4 to see off Fulham and hold up their part of the bargain, Huddersfield are 11-2 to get a win at London Stadium. Not looking likely. 
West Ham are odds on for that match, despite already being on the beach at 8-15. to You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Daniel, you've been writing and tweeting about Owner FC, and I really wanted to read it to find out what it was, but just something about the whole it's an app that lets you control a football team thing put me off a bit. What did I miss? Well, so that idea has kind of been done before with Absolute United Mm. kind of 10, 12 years ago, um, where fans, fans can invest some money to have a say and a share in the running the club. And it's an idea that some people don't like and some people think is a good idea and you know, that's kind of open to interpretation. The problem with Owner FC is that um, from people I've spoke to or customers I've spoken to, firstly, there's a, a, a huge uncertainty as whether they actually get a share or not or whether they have to then buy a share afterwards after the takeover of a club, which hasn't yet happened. And also the, the owners of Owner FC have been suspended from the app because they've been complaining they've been um they've closed down all their social media accounts now owner have um they still haven't taken over a club and people are wondering whether whether so they're going to the get the money back so the notion is that you pay you you buy a subscription to the app or whatever yes it funds the takeover of a club yes. which you then may or may not have shares which then in. should which then should the idea was would give you a share but then the terms and conditions actually the small print actually says it gives you the right to buy a share at nominal value which is oh, different right. okay which is different why though would you want a share in a club that's being run by people on an app uh well i think I think the the people would do it because it feels like a kind of real life football manager scenario. Well, no, the, you, I mean, people make bad decisions. If, oh yeah. If only there were a cautionary tale about people being given a vote <laughs> about something they don't no, quite understand. Right, right. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with you. I wouldn't. I have no interest in it myself. But I can see how uh, some people have, and the people I've spoken to that did it said, yeah. "Look, it was fifty quid. It felt like something 50 that was fifty quid. Yeah, was quite a good idea. But the from if, if the numbers that the the owner the owner of Ona um, said were right, and I don't think they are right. He right. said that they are three and a half thousand subscribers. He's got around a hundred grand that people are trying to get back, and, right. and that's fifty quid they've spaffed up the wall. Exactly right, Jules. I think it's time to find out what is the one game that you'd like to replay. Oh, uh, I would say the two thousand six World Cup final. Really? Yeah. yeah. Because Zinedine Zidane cannot end his career on a headbutt on Materazzi. Okay, so that more than the second leg against Barcelona. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't compare. So France win that World Cup final, maybe by scoring a penalty or two more, and Zinedine Zidane maybe takes one because he doesn't get sent off. Yeah. And then what happens? And then that's it. That's the last game of his career. And he's even more um, like a, a legend than he is already. But but yeah, I was there and it was my first World Cup final working and I just, I just, the whole drama, I just couldn't believe it. And I think, I think I saw Zidane in, in December for a, a big interview. And he says that he doesn't, he says he doesn't regret anything. And mm. I, I would put my mortgage on the table that if he could choose one game right. to play again, uh-huh. and, and Matarazzi might still insult him, you know, his family and his sister and his mum again, and he might do the same thing again, I'm not saying. But if there was one that he could replay, right. I think it would be this one. Right, okay. How many times have you rewatched that game? <laughs> Never, actually. Have you not? I, you know, I love, I love rewatching games. Sure. I do a lot. Not just PSG games or uh-huh. France games. Like, you know, I think it's, I think it's really cool. All right. What's your favourite game to rewatch, Jack? I barely have enough time to watch them live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. All right, then. Splendid. Well, soon we'll get your one match to replay, which I see becoming a, a major strand. Okay. In Totally Football Show going forward. Especially, I think, I think we could combine it with a what-if. For example, what if Colina hadn't forced Juve and Perugia to play on that day, that Sunday back in 2000? Mm. What, uh, what, what would have happened? Sven would never have become England manager for a start. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Parallel worlds. I was going to say Paul Gascoigne's challenge in the 91 Cup final. Ah, I bet you were. I'm going to leave it at that because it's just such an obvious segue that I'm going to leave it. That's really interesting. All right, well, we'll definitely do that next time you're in, Daniel. Yeah. You can can prepare an alternate (laughs) timeline where all sorts of things happen. Hmm. All right, great. Looking forward to that. Meantime, many thanks, everybody, for coming in. And, Daniel, you'll be back actually on Monday. Yes. For another Toodley Football show. Michael Cox and Ian Irving 
will be your wingmen. Very good. So, listener, make a date to join us then. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.